This is Sun and Vision on KEXP. I'm Emily Fox. Garbage is known for their hits Stupid Girl, Stupid Girl. and Only Happy When It Rains. I'm only happy when it rains. It's been more than 25 years since those songs were released, and the band is out with their seventh record. It's called No Gods, No Masters. Frontwoman Shirley Manson joins me now to talk about the record. Hello. Hello, Emily Fox. <laughs> Hello, Shirley Manson. So this album, I understand, is the most overtly political and socially charged garbage record to date. In this record, you're tackling issues such as climate change, the Black Lives Matter movement, as well as sexism and misogyny. And I want to ask you a lot of questions in a minute about sexism and misogyny, especially as it relates to the music industry. But first, I wanted to ask about the song Waiting for God to Show Up. Smiling at fireworks that light all the skies up While black boys get shot in the back Were they caught riding their bike? Or guilty of walking Was this the first garbage song to kind of touch on issues of racism? Yeah, I'm ashamed to say it. It absolutely is. Um, And, you know, it's long overdue and I'm sort of crushed that I've taken so long to really recognize that this is, you know, ongoing problem, you know, um, for black and brown peoples in, in not just this country, but all over the globe. So, yeah, I was I was I've been profoundly moved by this the struggle of Black Lives Matter to be to be listened to, heard, respected, and it's something that I, in all due conscience, I, I just couldn't make a record at this point in my life and this point in all our lives without touching on on this particular issue. Um, I felt it was of profound importance. You know, I think artists have an amazing ability to to you know connect with other people that's our job yeah so I'm proud of the song I am in despair that uh, there isn't faster change and I hope for the best but I know that nothing will change until white people start talking about this as adults as grown-ups and leave our fragility behind and actually think about what the hell's going on and how, how can we fix this problem it's 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 of the utmost importance Yeah, I mean, you know, systemic racism has been such a big conversation, you know, on the national scale this past year. And I'm just thinking about, you know, just lessons that made me think differently. Like, I'm just thinking about just my job as a journalist. Like this past year, I'm like, am I doing everything wrong? Because everything I've been taught about journalism ethics or how you do things have all been passed down from white people. And so, you know, I'm just curious for you, like with everything going on, all the conversations happening right now when it comes to race, I mean, did it make you think about things differently or analyze something in your life or make you think about something in a, in a different way when it comes to race? My slow awareness about uh, the racial disparity globally, you know, and the whole thing has has changed the way I look at the world, look at myself, 
I cringe at how ignorant I I was. I'm still ignorant, but I'm desperately trying to like educate myself. I think it will be a lifelong struggle to to catch up. And I understand that a lot of white people feel very awkward talking about race, uncomfortable, embarrassed. Um, they don't necessarily feel they have the vocabulary. But I just encourage everyone to start talking. You know, it, you don't have to be perfect. You just have to have good intentions. And yeah, you'll get called out and yeah, it'll be embarrassing. And yeah, that's happened to me. And it's awful and horrible. But you won't grow until you you start making mistakes, you know. So I guess that's how I look at it. And yeah, once you start seeing what you, <laughs> once you start seeing it for what it is, it's astounding how everything all over the world in every facet of our lives colonialism and systemic racism plays such a large part in everything and and it's astounding yeah and i'm curious too i mean you you grew up in scotland but have lived in the us most of your life are conversations like what we saw in the us this past year also happening in scotland they are ha- happening in scotland but you know the, the 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 weird thing about scotland is it's still very much a monoculture you know yeah. I mean, I grew up until I was 30 before I came to America and I knew one amazing black girl from my school. One person, Lisa Cameron, was the only black girl in my city, I think, you know, growing up in the 70s in in Scotland. So that gives you some idea of when I talk about a monoculture, it's a a monoculture. I mean, it's, it's changing, but the Scots have a very different kind of attitude to it, you know, still, um, because... I guess, I don't know that it's just, um, I feel that that Scottish people are horrified by what they see going on in America in particular and are very vocal about it. But, you know, when you're a monoculture, there's not (laughs) much to go out in the streets and protest against, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was thinking about like growing up in the Midwest. I'm like, I feel like we didn't talk about this as much in the Midwest. And it's like, well, depending on where you are, there is a lot of white people. So maybe it doesn't come up a lot, you know, outside of the city centers. But um, so you also host a podcast called The Jump, um, where you interview musicians about one song that they wrote that changed, as you say, everything. And so this could be a song where they found their real voice as an artist or a song that was really pivotal or changed their career in some way. And I'm curious, you know, since you host a show on the subject, what is a song that you were a part of that changed things for you? I mean, there are many, many songs in my career that I feel were pivotal. I mean, I would imagine that I would talk about something, you know, a song off the first garbage record, because of course, nobody knew who I was then and I had no career and, and that entire record changed the trajectory of my entire life but it's been such a fascinating experience to be you know at this point in my career I've been you know in a band for coming up on 30 years which is insane Mm. and to be able to sit down and talk with other musicians who I really admire I've learned so much I mean I really feel like wow how did I get this crazy opportunity this is astounding you know to be in that position at this point in my life, to be learning, you know, to have an education, a new education is really profound and, and magical. And I come away from every interview, like literally buzzing, like my veins are like pulsing with energy. It's incredible. I love it. 
Well, you have amazing conversations on the show, and I was listening last night um, to a few conversations, one of which was with uh, Liz Fair, who you'll actually be on tour with um, starting in in August, along with Alanis Morissette. But the conversation you had with Liz Fair, um, there was a portion of the conversation where you shared how you felt like you lost some of your value as an artist when you got into middle age, like you felt like you were no longer, you know, turning heads around you or people, you felt like people didn't consider you sex anymore so you lost your value and I've heard a lot of artists female artists say something like that you know that women are forced to retire you know in their 30s or 40s because they've lost that appeal they're not as marketable and you know you've been in the music industry for decades now and I'm just curious if there are some things that have gotten better when it comes to women in music and just gender equity stuff, and if there's just some things that are just still the same when it comes to gender issues. I would say everything is pretty much the same. (laughs) Um, But here's what I will add to this. So when you say that I did acknowledge that you know, I felt that I I was lacking agency as I, I stepped, you know, into middle age, I have to sort of emphasize that I have fought against that um, in myself and in my career, in that I'm not having anybody tell me I have to retire, despite journalists asking me to this very day Mm. when I'm going to retire. I see it as patriarchal condescension and control. And I just am determined to buck against that trend of women over 40, or in my case, over 50, deciding to turn their back on their their well-earned careers and and their skill and their talent and their intelligence and their creativity and walk away from the table. I'm not going to do that. And I'm very lucky in that when I was growing up, my heroes, my musical heroes were people like Chrissy Hind, Patti Smith, Stevie Nicks, Debbie Harry were all heroes of mine growing up and they remain in the industry with enormous agency And they continue to inspire me and to show me the way that for women, there is a future beyond, you know, your 30s when you develop your first wrinkle. (laughs) I mean, what does that also look like to push back against, you know, pressures from the industry or this idea of marketability, blah, 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 blah. I mean, for you to push back, I mean, you have to do some work within yourself, you know, which you say, like, you know, I I just got to kind of get over this idea and be confident. But you know, when it comes to just what you're hearing from the industry itself or pressures that, you know, the music industry might be pushing on you, what does that look like to push against some of those ideas or pressures? Well, most of the time it's fun. <laughs> because, <laughs> because to prove people wrong is is such a victory. You know, I mean, just the fact that we released our, our new record this month, our seventh record in, you know, a long career of 26 years of actually recording together. To have a record that goes top 10 all over the world and, you know, is the number one alternative record in America, that is the most glorious, victorious feeling. And it's really worth all the sort of like self-doubt occasionally and and the disappointment occasionally of being told that, well, they're not going to interview you or play you because you're what they consider a heritage act and stuff like that. Like that, that hurts sometimes or not hurts is the wrong word. It's sort of annoying (laughs) (laughs) and frustrating you know that you know as a woman a lot of the time you're not judged for your work you're judged on your beauty and your youth and that is frustrating but I'm just saying it's yeah it's frustrating but you know that's life 
you just have to adapt and make sure you do good work and work hard. Yeah, I'm curious, you know, with with all of these ideas, and again, there's, you know, so many themes of sexism and misogyny on this record. I'm curious if there's a song in particular that you feel like really fueled this energy of pushing against sexism and misogyny, a song on this record that really showcases that. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, to me, the album opens with The Men Who Rule the World, which is a song about the violation you know, of the people at the hands of powerful men. It is about, you know, pushing up against power. And, and, and the power, despite a few exceptions, is held all over the globe by old white men. And um, that in turn fuels misogyny and sexism, unfortunately. And, and I think it's time for a change. I mean, I think it's sort of ludicrous. I feel like we've given men centuries and centuries of power and we've laid a lot of our expectations and hopes on them. And I feel like they are, they are failing us now. And it's time to bring on some new ideas and some, some different perspectives in order to come up with some new ways forward. You know, um, I'm not saying that I want all female power. I honestly would, I, that, that frightens me as much as all male power. I want, I want distribution amongst the genders and the sexes and the races and the creeds. I think it makes sense and I'm perplexed as to why that isn't happening in this modern world of ours. That was my conversation with front woman Shirley Manson of the band Garbage. Their seventh album is out now called No Gods, No Masters. And that was Sun and Vision. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this show in your podcast app or share this podcast with a friend. It only takes a moment and makes a big difference in allowing more people to find out about this show. And by the way, KEXP is a publicly funded station. That's why you don't hear a lot of ads at the beginning of this podcast. And by an independent station, that means the majority of our funding comes from listeners. You can help support this show financially with a one-time $20 donation at kexp.org sound. I'm Emily Fox, and thanks so much for listening.